we continue in worship, the book of James, as we continue to remind ourselves of God's word and what it requires of us, that we would be not just hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. As I mentioned earlier, Lent is upon us. Lent is a reminder of uh, the words of Scripture in Genesis 3, from dust we came out, and to dust we will go. I mean, no one likes that idea. But it reminds us of things that I think are, are so very important when we start to pick up the words of James here in the third chapter. Because it is tough within these words of from dust you were formed and to dust you will go. We realize that, that we as human beings were created. Created with a purpose in mind. And, and if you read in Genesis 1, even before that, we, were, we see that God said, let us make man in our own image. And he wasn't just talking about man as the gender but humans in his own image. We bear the mark of our creator. We must remember this. Lent is a reminder of this. Lent is a reminder of these words from the book of Job, where Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I can assure you all three of my kids came out without anything off. Yes, I did. And, and, and they didn't bring anything into this world. And this is a reminder that though we may strive and though we will try, we will not take anything out of this world. I've seen many of things in my many of funerals. I've seen many of things left in coffin. I've placed things in the coffin family, but they didn't take it with them. The Lord gave life, the Lord will take life, but in the end, may the name of the Lord be praised. We are reminded of this. And there are two main issues that, that Jesus had a lot, of, a lot of times he talked about, and I think James is picking up. See, I think James, the book of James, if we would like, is cloaked within the words of Jesus every single verse. We could almost make a direct reference back to one of the sayings or words of Jesus. And Jesus talked about two things in particular, two major issues that I don't think were just an issue in that day. I think they're just as much an issue today. And the two issues are this, speech and power. Speech where, where Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, do not murder. But I tell you, if you call your friends, your neighbor, a fool, you're the dangers of the fire of hell. The hot. 
No wonder that we read in these words in chapter 3 that the tongue, verse 6, is also a fire. The tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It can corrupt the whole body, set the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by Jesus in Matthew 12 said, For out of the mouth the heart speaks. It isn't what goes in the mouth that he was concerned about as much as what came out of his mouth. Speech, a big deal. We also talk a lot about power. As we come into this time of Lent, you know, we are reminded, and as we come to Monday, Thursday, in a few short weeks, the reminder of what Jesus, the all-powerful one, as we learned in the Gospel of John, and it brought us uh, very fitting that we are finally to this section of the Gospel of John, uh, you know, where we're talking about that last couple days, where Jesus, in all his power, decided to serve one another. And at the table of that Last Supper, there was conversation going on on who was the most powerful, most important. Or as James may be reminding, of, being reminded of, Jesus would say, you're not to go about asking people to call you teacher and master and rabbi. That's a place of power. But instead, you are to be a servant. And no wonder, in, in the book of James, the, the word he decides to use in chapter 1, verse 1, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul would come out to say, I'm the least of apostles. None of the apostles really tried to put that mantle on themselves. It was given to them. Throughout the book of James, we, remind, we are reminded time and time again that James is a fellow brother in this. My fellow believers, he says in verse 1. How? In 1887, a leader in another part of the world said these words, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And they've been ringing through probably ever since. Yet it, it's not something that we just easily get away from. Power is very seductive. Power is very subtle in ways it tries to come up. Those in power Regardless of how good they are, and, and, and I believe we, as the church, the people of God, we have not been immune from this. It, ha it happens in our body. Where we will try to suppress speech, or we will use our speech to, to steer people to what we would want them to do. And sometimes we, as the church, have a history of aligning ourselves with the power brokers of the day. In Jesus' time, it was the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin of the Romans. 
throughout church history. We can read that there were times when the church itself aligned itself with the powers of the day. Much to the neglect of the word of God and of others in the world. And much to the demise of both. And if we are not careful in 2023, we too will try to align ourselves with the powers of the day and we forget that there is only one all-powerful being, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is above all in all things. And we must be reminded of that. We must be reminded of, of the way that our speech and our power that we have can be used for great good. But as James is going to remind us, it can also be used for great harm. I, yesterday, was doing some sewing uh, in our house. I'm the one that does the sewing. I don't do it well, so don't ask me to do anything for you. It's really kind of, I, I can mess a whole lot of stuff up while sewing. Every once in a while, I get something right. Um, Sewing is one of those ways that every once in a while. Well, one of the things that our kids had uh, kind of torn apart unintentionally was a Spider-Man mouse. You know, goes over them. They love. They've always loved doing that. Uh, so, Miles need anything Spider-Man. We have them all. We will just continue our our, our task of handing them off to you uh, with that. But I'm reminded uh, of the words of Spider-Man. Anybody? Can anybody recall? There we, and we know it in our house. Great power comes great responsibility. Or as Jesus would say, for those who have been given much, much will be expected. For James, he says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Those in leadership, whether in the church or outside the church, have great influence. If you don't believe me, think back to your favorite teachers growing up. Who was your favorite teacher growing up? Anybody know? Can you remember? I have a few. One of mine is uh, a lady by the name of Miss Jana. And then her co-teacher, uh, I really... I just know her name was Miss Ellis, but we called her Mrs. S, S being for shorty, because she was quite short, and she was okay with that. I had them for two years. Now, before you think that I had them for two years and that was an issue, uh, they had split levels in the uh, district I grew up in. So you would have a mixture of first and second graders, or in this case, second and third graders in a class. And I remember both of them very fondly. I also had uh, Mr. Brown, oops, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Leal, who was my Spanish teacher, and Mr. Engel, who was my music teacher. To name a few. That really has stuck out. I also know I had one teacher who I will leave unnamed that also caused not always uh, the best of influence, but a lot of pain, and, and, and as odd as it may sound, a lot of trauma for me that I 
still work through and, and try to, at least, of something that was said. Not necessarily to me, but to the whole class that made of more. Leaders have great influence. That's why I believe, and I've said in many ways, the most powerful committee or board we have here at the church, beyond you as members of the church, is the nominating board. Because they are the ones who set into place and try to discern who has those leadership abilities. Because leaders have great influence over lots of things. No wonder James would say, not many of you should want to become teachers or leaders. Because you will be judged free. And if we remember this, if we understand that leaders, and I believe especially pastors, will have a greater judgment on the day than Jesus judges. We may be as James would call us to be. But he says this in chapter 1 again, where he says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Jesus said these words himself. Because words have eternal consequences. And in our day and age, it is easy to expect quick words to come out by those leaders. And we've talked about this in the past couple of weeks. But this is why I believe pastors in particular must use extreme caution when speaking on the latest event of the week or the day. And I know that can be frustrating. And I know that I, I may hide behind this at times. But we need to understand pastors are going to be more severely by what is said or not said. So this is why you must pray for pastors and leaders. This is why, though, I do believe there's someone in our church body that is called into ministry, but you've got to count the cost, because it's not always fun and games. It's not a place of status, a place of power, yes. But it is also a weight of responsibility to be a leader in a church, to be a pastor. Now, we all must remember that we all sin, including pastors. And we can sin in many ways. And it's not we as God's people aren't immune to that. James is saying we all sin. We all stumble in many ways. Many can be just frequency, but many can be also in different ways. This is why there's lists of sins throughout all of the New Testament. We, we as God's people are very comfortable sometimes with some of those lists of sins. We're very comfortable on the ones that are the major sins. You know, for instance, Galatians uh, 6 or 5 has a list of sins. <coughs> These are the acts of the flesh. These are the sinful acts which are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Of which we go, yes, that's right. And we ought to. 
There are things for the people of God that are off limits when it comes to sexuality because we are different than the rest of the world. But he goes on to say things that we may not be as more as much as we like. Goes on to say hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. And if you like me, go walk, stop, please. My toes can't handle it any longer. Then he goes back to others that we yes, we can agree with drunkenness, orgies, and the like, yes. But did you notice the, about half of that? Were sins that we may be quote unquote okay with. Were maybe harder to get out. And James says, yes, we sin in many ways. But it doesn't mean it's okay. A sin common to us all is the sin of the tongue. How do you speak? How do you speak? I must admit, I, I, I joked to some extent with Alicia, uh, you know, yesterday that I almost thought about just trying to figure out a way to get past this passage. Because this isn't something I think I've conquered by any stretch of the imagination. But it's what we need to be reminded of. I think uh, for us as, as Christians who are living in an age where, where the world around us is no longer Christian, we are in a post-Christian world where the majority of people we come into contact with do not know Jesus and therefore will not act as followers of Jesus. And we have to be very careful how we interact, as wise, not as the unwise Paul would say. Making the most of every opportunity, Ephesians 4. And one of the ways we have to be wise, and James is going to say this as we will look at it next week, is in our speech. The list. I mean, we see in Philippians 4, the issue of the church then was an issue of speech and of slander of one another and of gossip of one another and of backbiting of one another. I'm not saying those are present in our church, but if we are not careful, they can be. The sin of the tongue. He says, we all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Does anybody want to say you've never been at fault for something you've said? Anybody? Are you guys waving your hand, Jordan? I will not give you long letters on why I'm disappointed. 
And then the very last line where, oh yeah, your mother sends for love. Signs the father. Wow. Words that you're now. Words that 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 would be remembered. Now this letter to this person he became, I believe, a really good, great world leader. Well, can you imagine the pain of that word that was shared? What you what words are you and I sowing into to not only our children and our grandchildren and for some of you your great grandchildren, but for the people around you? Are you sowing in words that will heal or words that will destroy? Jesus says this in Matthew 12. I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. No wonder James would say, everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's easy to speak. He will go on to say, <coughs> he goes on to say in verse 9 and 10, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. There's a lot to unpack there with James, calling God the Father taking after our Lord Jesus Christ himself who said, when we pray, we ought to pray our Father in heaven. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. See, he, he talks about how uh, in verse 7 and 8, uh, he brings back this creation mindset where we as human beings, God delegated the task of, of stewarding, of overseeing, of ruling creation. And this is why it is important for us to see we are a steward of creation. How we use creation matters. And just like we were given dominion over all the animals, it doesn't mean we tamed them all. And, and no one reading James would have picked that up, but they would have picked up this idea that we have the ability to tame some wild animals. But he goes on to say no one has been able to tame fully the tongue. With it, we praise God and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing my brothers and sisters. This should not be. For Christ's followers, we cannot curse and demean another person, period. Notice for Christ's followers. Because we are held to a different standard. We've been given the Spirit of God. We do not get the chance to praise God on Sunday and then demean and dehumanize any other person who's made in the image of God. The rest of you. And if you are a leader, especially for us pastors, even more so should we see that when James says this should not be what he's really trying to say is absolutely not this should not be possible period yes 
Yancey once remarked when he commented on a political leader's faith that he felt wasn't just for show, but was integral to who he was as president of our nation. He received stacked upon stacked of, of people who berated him that he would ever say such a thing about that man. And almost 90% or more of them came from the evangelical Christians of the day. Why? Because there were right reasons for the evangelical Christian to be, to be opposed to the things that some, that president had done. To be opposed to some of the character traits of that president. But they were the evangelical Christians like you and me are very quick to curse and demean somebody who doesn't look like us doesn't make me think like us. And it is no wonder, as I read this week, what someone once said, that to get to the heart of Christianity, one sometimes must remove all Christians from the picture. Speech is the area that you and I, moving forward, must guard above all. The psalmist said, Lord, put a safeguard at my We need to guard our speech because the world is going to be watching what we do. So how do we do this? What are two ways, two things that maybe prevent me to give up? One is cynicism. Cynicism breeds distrust in anybody else. We normally see this as someone who will say, I've become old and cynical. And, and, and I had somebody in one of our previous churches who told me straight up that they are old and they are cynical. Can, you tell, can I tell you what I didn't do with them? I didn't go out coffee with them much. Because they were at least willing to admit they were cynical. But everything that would come out of their mouth and it was like I had to take a whole salt shaker and throw it behind me. Because it was colored in this way of no one can be trusted, nothing good will ever happen. It is the heart of pessimism upon pessimism upon pessimism. We, as the people of God, have a glorious future, do we not? So cynicism should not be part of our, our vocabulary. Because if I become cynical, and I start to doubt anything Clay may tell me, ah, uh, that can't be true. You know, sooner or later, with those who don't know Jesus, if I am a cynic, when I'm cynical about anything, you know what they will do? Go elsewhere. Because cynicism does not breed relationship. It breeds, in my opinion, honest, in my opinion today, it breeds resentment and bitterness. And scripture says bitterness is the root of all evil. I believe. critical of everything 
This isn't criticism. There is a place for criticism. There is a place for, for criticism in a helpful way, but criticalness is a negative attitude that focuses on what a person is not doing or what they are doing that is not right. I have met many of well-meaning Christians who truly believe they have the spirit of criticalness. And I don't like them very much. I try to love them, but I don't like them very much. In fact, over the years, when, I, when I've had a person with uh, who, who may even sometimes put this mantle upon them, that I, I'm the one who needs to make sure you're doing this right. You know what, when I see him coming, you know what I did? I quickly found a different way to wherever I was going. And when I was at a larger church, when there were multiple ways to get to the same place, I could take a different route each time so they couldn't find it. Because if I'm afraid that every time I were to see them, it was going to be a reminder of what, some, what I was not doing right, what could have been done better, what was at fault, Pretty soon, I'm ready to throw my hands up and say, I give up. There's a place for criticism. And James is going to tell us that we can correct in love. And so when we do correct in love, we save them from an error and a multitude of sins. We must give up privileges. Why? Because both place ourselves over others. And if we're not careful, it puts ourselves over God. I can curse somebody, and that makes you God. Yet you were formed from the dust of the world. And for dust, you shall return. None of us would like to say that we would put ourselves in the place of God. But when we praise Jesus on one day, and we dehumanize, and we demean, and we forget that others are made in the image of God, we do place ourselves over God. Because when speech is left alone, it will lead to greater sins and it will lead to an abuse of power. This is why James says, after desire has birth, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. if we aren't careful by our words will give birth to death. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Whose needs? Their needs. 
and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. All sins of the speech to some extent. Bitterness and put on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And that's why we need to put on wisdom. So let me take a moment to speak to a current event that some have wondered. And it is what is going on in a small town of Raspberry, Kentucky. If you've been keeping track of anything, it's been pretty neat to see. And, and, and what else has been interesting to see is there have been voices on every side of the aisle trying to speak about what is or is not happening there. From some in the evangelical community, it has been this. It can't be a revival because there hasn't been any salvations. It can't be revival because it's emotionalism. And there hasn't been enough quote-unquote preaching of the gospel. Then on the other side, it has been critical and cynicism of it can't be revival because there hasn't been enough justice come out of it yet. There hasn't been enough reconciliation coming out of it yet. And I think wisdom teaches us two things, at least. And I might get more than two. One, we have to wait and see the fruit. Three, I think there's amazing things going on here. I've not personally made any, any uh, way of getting there, but I've had good mentors and friends that I trust go and say there's something to it. So we need wisdom to be patient to see what the fruit will come. But if the Spirit of the Lord is going to show up anywhere, I think the words of Gamaliel, who he was not a believer in Jesus, but he goes, you know, if this Jesus following is about one man, it will die off. But if it is of God, we will find ourselves fighting God. And I don't want to fight God. Second. It's easy to speak about what we do not know and what has not been our experience. What I know is a group of college students that have spread to other college students have gotten an awakening of the Spirit of God within I may not have had that experience, but far be it from me when I will crush what seems to be the work of the Spirit, because it doesn't look like mine. Because it hasn't shown up on my timetable. It has not shown up in the way I would like. And maybe that helps you answer. What do I think about this stuff growing up? I think it's the Spirit of God. The Lord, Scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord is the truth. Does it conform? To the pattern of scripture, maybe so. <clears throat> but I'm just going to try not to be critical or cynical on either of those. Because it doesn't look like what I might think it looks like. 
Some would say, isn't it surprising a little town in Kentucky to do it? And I'm thinking, no, because the little places sometimes are prepared for the Bible.